one people gave dower and demand all nations to save all fair on thou my beloved and there was never stain of Adam seen in you It's 5.30 in the morning in the simple oratory of the Mother House of the Missionaries of Charity at Lower Circular Road, Calcutta. The day always starts with Mass and prayers to Our Lady. Kneeling beside me, leading the prayers and the hymns, is the barefooted figure of Mother Teresa. In just a few minutes, she and her nuns will be going out into the already hot and noisy streets of the world's most overcrowded city to carry on their work. Today, I'm going with her. Can you describe for us where we are now and what's going on here? Uh, this is our uh, Nirmala Shishu Bobon, this children's home, Immaculate Children's Home, in, in honor of Our Lady Immaculate Heart of Mary. This has been named by that. And here we have uh, children's home for abandoned children, sick children, disabled children. Children that have no one and maybe sometimes they are unwanted. And also, as we are fighting abortion by adoption, so we tell everybody, all the clinics and everything, that do not destroy the child, we will take the child. So we have saved many lives uh, from having been destroyed. And um, then we have a clinic here also. Uh, there are hundreds of people that come here. And the sisters, we have a sister doctor there, and she gives them medicine according to their need. Then we have a very big distribution of food, cooked food, to about 7,000 people. And um, the sisters uh, distribute that food to, to all people, all those uh, who maybe is the only food that they have. And then uh, here we also have... At children's place for the very, very uh, unwedded mothers also, for the unwedded mothers. And then uh, I think these are four or five things that are going on here. Then from here we have another also malnutrition children that we pick up from the different dispensaries or from the station and keep them here. They have the parents, but maybe some of the parents are living in the street. Maybe some of the parents are extremely poor. They are living in the slums, but they're very poor. So we bring them and for keep them two, three months. And like that, we prevent uh, tuberculosis for the children. And uh, I think if you go around, you will see the rest. One in the arm, that's Tomar Bhai. 
these are children that we bring from the slums. They have their parents. These are not given up children because they have their parents and they, they live in the slum areas of Calcutta. And the sisters go there for dispensary work and so when they visit their families, they find. Now this little one is three years old. Wouldn't believe that. Okay. And uh, so, three years. She looks like uh, somebody who isn't anymore. Six months. Indeed. Yes, little legs and all that. Even that is swollen. She's very emaciated. Uh, yes. And so, we keep not, it's already been here for three days. Uh, still very bad. But we are hoping that after the feeding and injection that the child will be all right. Like this, we save the children from, as they grow bigger, they can turn into a tuberculosis. And so, if we take them in time and bring them here, I think we'll be able to save many lives like that. Okay. No more coro? No more? No more? What does she bring? Good morning. Good morning, mother. Good morning. Good morning, mother. Good morning, mother. Good morning, mother. They all seem to be so happy. Yeah, all eyes. Huh? Oh, they are very much quiet today. You should see them other times. <laughs> is that one better, sister? That little one? Much better? Yes. Okay. Today, after you carry so much, he was laughing so much. Yes. Okay. Yes. What was the what was wrong with that little baby sister? This one had diarrhea and fever. He was not taking anything by mouth, so we are spreading by tube two days. Now he is uh, two weeks with us. His his little legs are still very yes. emaciated, aren't they? Yes, because my nutrition, no, because he was uh, take time to pick up. We've often heard the expression legs like uh, like matchsticks, but they they almost literally are, aren't they? Yeah, that is the suffering of our children, no? some of our children. But thank God we have a place like this where we can bring them and make them all right and send them back with a big smile. Mother, do you know uh, what they're singing about in that little I song? I pay attention. What, was, uh, what are they singing, sister? She's singing one song about uh, small children's life. From childhood, uh, how they grow up, and they went to school, and uh, they were so naughty. <laughs> And now they are becoming very good. Where do they learn these little songs? The little the songs are taught by the sisters who uh, uh, attended, uh, taught them in the school. So songs about naughty little girls taught by sisters? Yeah. It is a Bengali song, actually. They always, these children here in this home, seem to be so happy, so full of life. Yes, they get lots of love and affection. You ask them, they will tell you they don't want to go away from here. Yes. But of course, they will have to be sent away eventually. Yes, we have to think of the future of the child and uh, they have to have a nice home.
parents. Are, are most of these children here for adoption? Yes, most of the children being adopted already. They will be going very soon. Some are waiting for passport and visa. Some are waiting for the escorts to come and pick them up. What countries do they normally go to? Uh, normally they go to... Uh, see, we are divided the adoptions. From Delhi they go to USA, United States, and from here mostly go to Belgium, France, um, Germany, Switzerland, then... Uh, Italy. So some of these will be growing up as um, little Spaniards and little Italians and little Germans. Yes. Sister, what would have happened to them if they hadn't been taken here for adoption? I suppose they could have been died off. They, uh, no, they could have been... Uh, well, if they were not adopted, we'd like to look after them. But uh, we think it is the best for them to be adopted to have the parental love and affection for the child, to grow, to have a normal process. Of life. And can, can you tell me how many children you place in adoption each year? 98% of the children go in adoption from here. And, and how, many, how many children does that, is that? Uh, in a year, we get more than 100 children, including babies. And almost everyone, if they are not mentally handicapped, then they all will be adopted. And if they are, uh, a, there is an age limitation like... Uh, uh, if the child is older, 80 years, 9 years, it is impossible to give an adoption. Because they already the child has been known to us and from where they are. But if the child is a limited age and uh, uh, not mentally handicapped, then every child has been adopted. And many of them might have died if they hadn't been brought here to the home. Uh, yes. Yes, definitely. Most of these bigger children are coming from streets. Streets and stations. They're, they're picked up at the railway station the by railway the sisters. Stations, also from the streets also. Even some of the newborn babies come to us from the uh, uh, streets. They're, they're very beautiful children, aren't they? Yes, they are very beautiful. Very affectionate. And very affectionate. Mm -hmm. And you can forget all your trials and worries when you work with the children. <laughs> the rich are more or less becoming richer and the poor are becoming poorer. And if you have the rich people, naturally you have the poor people. But my concern is that, uh, that we bring the rich and the poor face to face. And that's why the, the work has been a wonderful gift of God, that it has brought that awareness, that concern, has, that has created in the world and in the individual families that concern for the poor and it's more and more not just in words not just in feelings but something even like a little child who heard that Mother Teresa has no sugar a uh, little child of four years a Hindu child goes home and tells his parents I will not eat sugar for three days and uh, after three days how much can a little child how much sugar can a child eat yet that sugar he brought and gave it to me another very rich child refused to have a party for his birthday. And he told his parents, I don't want new clothes, I don't want toys, I don't want party, but you give me what you were going to spend for me. And they gave him 500 rupees because he was five years old. And he, uh, he brought that for the children to be fed. And like that, it's increasing uh, more and more, especially amongst the young people 
old schools are getting involved and people are getting involved in this uh, sharing, not uh, from abundance, because I always tell people I don't want your money from your abundance. I don't want you to relieve your conscience. I don't want that, but I want you to give until it hurts. Uh, I To give because I want to share your your suffering, your poverty, to remove that thing from you. And I think this consciousness uh, is coming more and more. And we have to thank God that the poor people are giving us more than we give to them. It's a privilege for us to serve them because in serving them, we are really serving Christ himself. He has said, I was hungry, I was naked, I was homeless, I was sick, you did it to me. And so this contact with the poor actually is bringing the people in contact with God. Mother, do you think that people in the world generally, people particularly in the developed nations, really realize the extent of the poverty which exists, not just in India, but in many countries throughout the world? Have they, have they not been rather immunized from this down through the years? I think unless the rich countries realize the poverty they have in their own house first, the poverty in their neighbor, the poverty in their own country, they will never get that feeling. Because it's easy to think of the poverty of far away, forget very quickly. But when they realize that they have the unwanted, unloved, uncared, uh, that is much greater poverty and much more difficult to remove. Uh, then, because today, a great disease is not leprosy, not tuberculosis, not cancer. But that feeling of terrible loneliness, a feeling of being unwanted, unloved, having forgotten what is human, human joy, what is human uh, feeling of being wanted, of loved. I think uh, this is in very well-to-do families sometimes. And um, our eyes are outside without looking inside. As love begins at home, I think if we could bring prayer back again in the family and if we begin to know how great is poverty in our own home, then our eyes will be clearer to see the need of our brethren. This is poverty of the heart, poverty of the soul, as much as poverty of the body you're talking about. Exactly. This material poverty which we see, uh, it strikes us straight away, and we are anxious to be scandalized, so to say. We are shocked to see a person lying half-naked in the street. But I have picked up people from the streets of of Rome and London and Australia and other places, maybe not half naked, maybe not like that, like what we see, dirty and all that, but the same unwanted, unloved, uncared people uh, just left like that. Like for example, an, an homeless alcoholic person is the same as one of our beggars in the street who is lying in the street of Calcutta or is lying in the streets of Melbourne. So your advice to people in developed countries would be to look at the poor in your own country, the the, the poor physically and the poor spiritually, and do something for them. Yeah, because love begins at home. Once you have realized that in your own home, uh, naturally you will want to do it. Because even St. John said, how can you say that you love God whom you don't see if you don't love your neighbor whom you see? How can you love love somebody outside your home if you don't love people in your own home? It's a contradiction. So that even within the family, there is sometimes yes. need for a greater love and a greater closeness between yes. the members of an individual yes. family. Individual families, and also said today, 
uh, all the old people are put in institutions. Father and mother are so busy that they have no time even to smile at each other. A child comes from school, there's no one to receive the child. The child goes back to the street to entertain itself. Uh, is that not a great poverty? That's something you feel strongly about too? Very strong, very, very much, and I feel uh, for that, to remove that, we need to bring Christ back again. Christ is the only answer. And like Our Lady, when she found Jesus, uh, she took him home to Nazareth, and together they made that beautiful holy family. So it is today, parents must look for their child, bring him back. And abortion also is one of those terrible um, signs of great, great, great poverty. Uh, we are afraid of the child today. The child must die because we are afraid we won't be able to feed one more child, educate one more child, clothe one more child. The child must die. And so the fear of the child is making the, even the mother to destroy her own child. And as we read in the scripture, it said there that even, even if mother could forget her child, I will not forget you because I have curved you in the palm of my hand, even if. But today, this has become uh, very natural for a mother. And uh, I feel that, not that I only feel, but I'm convinced that abortion is nothing but a murder in the womb of the mother. And so, out of fear of the baby, that little child must die because we are afraid of the child. And so I think since this year is a child's year, let us try to make every child, born and unborn, wanted, loved, cared. And that's the greatest gift that we can give uh, to a child, to a living child, that um, her, their unborn brother or sister be given to them as a gift for the child's year. You have just come from a children's home, and I'm asking Sister Luke, who is in charge of the Home for the Dying, to take you to Kaligad, to our Home for the Dying. And when, you, when she has taken you around and shown you the place there, and, and you have seen the people there, then you can come back again here in the afternoon, then we could continue and you can see. If you want still more anything to ask about the home, I will be able to, to give you the answers. That be all right? Now we are in the home of the dying destitute, which her mother first started when she first came out in, into the streets. You see, when mother first started her, her call, she went into the streets and she was going around looking over for cases and children to look after. And when she found a dying person in the street, she used to take them to the hospitals and they used to admit them. Then when she took many cases to the hospitals, they started to reject her. Then she did not know what to do. Then she had an idea of having a home. Then she approached the government authorities and they gave her this place. This place is actually a home for the pilgrims that the Hindus used to come here to worship in the Kali temple. So they used to bring all their people here and they used to stay here. But uh, this place was misused, I suppose, and when the mother went and asked for the home, 
they, they told her that you can take this one because they themselves was trying to get rid of all these people, vices that was going on here. So when mother came and asked, it was very nice of them to say, take this place. So when mother came over, she took this place beautifully, but she had a very hard time in the beginning because it was the first Christians that came inside and this was completely a Hindu area and she had a lot of trouble. Many people uh, tried to drive her out of here. Yes, there was a lot yes. of opposition. Yes, there was. But slowly she gained them by her love, her love towards the people, towards the dying. This compassion and love that mother showed to the majority of them were Hindus. And that won the people. And even the man, uh, Kali, uh, this temple priest, when he was di dying, he requested that he should come and to mother and die in mother's hands. And that really won everybody around here. And from that time onwards, the people around here, they love us. This man, I think, was very much afraid of dying. And yes. uh, he was very angry at the time, and yet he died very peacefully. Yes. He wanted to, maybe in the beginning he didn't like mother, but when he was very sick, by that time he already came to realize the mother's work and mother's love and compassion. It was a service fully for God, no? And when he was dying, he wanted to, to die in mother's hands. So when he came in, mother accepted him, and he died very beautifully in mother's hands. So that was a real opener for all the Hindus around here. And you say that nobody has ever died lonelier or angrier alone here in, in this home? No, I don't think they would die lonely. You could see now the, the voluntary workers, the sisters, how they are with the patients. There is no loneliness because each one is tended to early morning. They are fed individually. They are all taken out and given a bath, personal attention. By, 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 by bathing them, cleaning them, it's our contact and our love towards them, you know? And because when they come in here, they're so unwanted and unloved in the streets. That's the worst thing, the loneliness of a person, you know, to feel unwanted and uncared. And when they come here, that's the first thing we do for them. It's not the medicine, it's not the injections, it's not the treatment that brings them back to life. It is this action of God's love that we communicate to them. And they themselves are very deep in their religion, in their God that they see that beautiful act of love, they're not afraid to die. They all lie here, see, they're very peaceful. Many of them that are dying, they're not afraid, they're not restless, they don't want to say, I want to go to a hospital, I want to go here, they never say that. They just lie peacefully and accept. If death comes, death, God takes them away, they get better, they, get, they go home. We always tell them, this is God's house, and we can give you love and God's uh, care. Where hospital treatment is concerned, that's only a second line, it's only first aid. If you want hospital care, we'll put you in a hospital. But here, there is no real hospital treatment. It's our love for you and your love for us. And in this way, we share God's love. And have you seen them respond to this love? Beautifully. Because when some of them, when they die, it's such in such silence and in such peace. And when we tell them, you're going to God, they say, Sister, I'm happy to go to God. I want to go to God. And they, they can lie like that for many weeks in our care, but not afraid. That's something we ourselves admire in them. We see that beautiful part of them. Because if, if I was dying, I, I hope I would die as peacefully as they are. <laughs> really. Would you like to, to die here when your own turn comes? Where would you like if, to die? I would not know where mother will uh, put me when I'm dying, but surely I'd be very happy to lie under that bed uh, 32 under Our Lady and die. It's the most beautiful place because when I put all my very sick ones right under Our Lady, and when if they die, I feel, I always tell them, you will go through Maria to heaven. That's the gate of heaven, no? So when all my ill cases, we put them under Our Lady. This side, there's one lady. 
in the male ward, there's another Our Lady. So the very sick ones are kept there and given special care. Sister, how many people are there here in the, in the home at the moment? Now I think we'll be having about 90 patients. There's only about 111 beds. How, how many of these are, are going to survive, do you think? How many of them will get better? About 50% live and about 50% go to heaven. Heaven is their home. Those who get better, they, they, some go out. Some cripples like that, they stay with us. They don't, we can't send the cripples out. Those who are able to walk about and fend for themselves, they go back into the street and they come back to us after some time. Because uh, what is their future in the street? Nothing much. So the same cycle, they fall sick again and they come back to us. They themselves will come on their own. We know them. Walking through the streets of Calcutta, either mm. late at night or in the early hours of the morning, one sees so many destitute yes. people living, yes. sleeping on the roadside. They don't even have shacks of homes to go into. Is that, is that quite common here? Yes, it is. Many you will see them just lying on the pavements and in the morning they just roll their bedding, they put it with themselves and they go around begging. That's a common sight. And do, do many of these fall ill? Yes, if they fall ill, they just go in one corner and they just lie there. If they're knocked down by an, a car, their leg is broken, there'll be nobody for, to take them to a hospital unless a man touched by God sees a person dying there. He's got into a hospital. Or if he's a destitute dying, he might be brought straight into here through the hospital. That's how our cases come in, no? There's a person, that unknown person, who went down and stooped to see what is that person, a person lying under a blanket. Usually they cover themselves completely and they go like that in filth and dirt. That compassionate soul must have gone and picked the blanket up and seen a very sick man underneath there. It was he that rang up to mother and told mother, what am I going to do? I found a dying man there. Then we tell them, you ring up 201 and send them over here. But before they come here, they always go to the hospital for admission. And if it's refused, then they come straight here. But many hundreds of people die in Calcutta unknown, unloved every year. Yes, I cannot deny that. There must be. And for them, a home like this is obviously a great source yes, of consolation, is, great happiness. How, that is why God inspired Mother to start this work, because many were dying in the street unloved, uncared, no? So God, Jesus must have put that into Mother's soul, to go out and pick these ones and to give them that love, that care, not only by the sisters, by the people all over the world. Look now how many voluntary workers there are here, and all from different parts of the world. And they do such beautiful work, they share the work with the sisters the same way. They just, what part the sister plays, they play that same part with compassion and with love. And there are people from rich families, educated people, and yet they come down and stoop. They live the life of poverty. It's very beautiful to see that. Sister, do you ever become overwhelmed by the enormity of the poverty and the suffering you see all around you? You've devoted your life to this work, but... Do you ever, does, you, does your heart ever fail you? You mean we become despair? No, we don't. We see that it's God's ways of maybe, if there is poverty, then the other people who are rich will come and participate in this poor person, and then that will be an act of love, an act of love for God. No? So that's how we see it. No? We play a part in it. We see Jesus suffering down there. We go and look after him, we care for him, we bring them back. So in that way, we don't feel really sad about it. It's part of the world, no? All over the world. 
Can you tell me what's your name and what you're doing here? My name is Lorna. Lorna O'Brien. I come here for my sickness to get all right. My father had TB, so he also died, you see. And I think it's in, in the family, it's in our family, this TB is in our family. But my daughter doesn't know anything. The time I took bad and I was feeling cold and shivering and I was feverish, she didn't know anything. So she told me, if you're all right in Kali Ghat, go to sister and tell her how you're feeling. My sister-in-law told me, you are spitting blood. Are you bringing up blood? I said, yes, I'm bringing up blood. Then if you are bringing up blood, then you go to sister immediately and tell her how you're feeling. Otherwise, we can't do anything. We, have, we are poor ourselves. We can't do anything. We are, we are even helpless, homeless, no money. We are poor. We can't help you. The best thing, you go to sister. Then I sat in the tram and came to sister. Well, with a name like O'Brien, uh, your parents must have come from Ireland. Yes, oh, of course, yes. Father was Irish man. Mother was Spanish, father was Irish. And you grew up in Calcutta? Yes, I grew up in Calcutta. I was studying in Bangalore convent, and then from there I came to Calcutta. My father brought me. Did he ever tell you what part of Ireland he came from? No. But just how ill were you when you came in here? I came here because I was bleeding. I had no place to go. Homeless, houseless. No one to look after me. No one to see to me. I had to come because I had nobody to see. Bleeding. So badly I was bleeding. I, had, I was running a temperature so badly. Fever. And after that I was... I had, there was nobody in the house. And then I started feeling cold. I started feeling very cold. Then when I was feeling very cold, I just told my daughter, I said that I'm going to Kali Ghat. I'm going to sister now, to Kali Ghat, because I can't remain anymore in the, in the house. I'm feeling very bad. She said, all right, if you're better over there, then you go. I just sat down and waited for the tram to come. Tram. And I couldn't, couldn't stand up for the tram. Couldn't stand. I sat down and I waited, 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 waited. After a long time, in my sixth state, of course, after a long time, the tram came. After a long time, one tram came. Then after the tram came, I got in very, very hard. Difficultly, I got into the tram. After I got into the tram, I reached here. I reached to Kaligat. Then when I got off the tram, I was walking, I was feeling very bad. Then when I came here, then I spoke to sister. Sister says, go and lie down. And when I came and lie down, then I felt much better. And if you couldn't have come here, what would have happened to you? I would have died on the street. Died on the street, helpless. No one to look after me, no one to see to me. I would have died on the road. Then I, I used to go begging sometimes. I used to go begging, asking people for money on the street, asking them to help me. Sometimes they used to give me five rupees, sometimes they used to give me ten rupees. 
Sometimes they used to give me two rupees, sometimes they used to give me one rupee. And I used to manage like that. Mostly I used to go begging. In the evening times I used to go begging near the Grand Hotel. Go that side begging, walking, walking, walking for miles and miles and miles. And some people I used to ask them for one rupee, two rupees, and they used to help me. Some people used to give me nothing. All you were really looking for was a few pence, a few pennies. Yes. And you couldn't even get that? And I couldn't even get that to help my daughter and myself. She's also in a bad way. And now she's got a job, thank God. Would she not be able to look after you and feed yes. you, take care of you? Yeah, she'll be able to look after me. She's just now got a job. She's just got a nice job teaching little children. So she said that I'll look after you, I'll take a house and I'll look after you. When you go, when I go back. So I said, when, you, when I go back, you look after me? She said, yes. I'll take a house and I'll look after How much would it uh, cost for you to uh, get enough food to eat for the day? Sister used to give me my lunch. Sister used to give me my lunch. But my dinner and my other, other meals, I used to go and uh, beg for some money and get it, and I used to manage Sometimes father used to help me. Father used to give me some money. The priest. Well, there are there are sixteen rupees to the to the pound. Yes. How, how many rupees would you need to live on for a day in Calcutta? Calcutta in a day, say five ten rupees. A day. You need about five, ten rupees a day to live in Calcutta. For food and everything. And is, is it hard to earn that? How difficult is it to get that much money? Oh, it's very difficult. Very difficult to get that, that amount of money every day. I used to get only three rupees, four rupees sometimes. We used to manage with that. Somehow with that three, four rupees we used to manage. Then the next day again, three, four rupees again we manage. Then again, next day, the five rupees, six rupees we used to manage. But the sickness came, you know, all of a sudden. Well, you look very much happier now. Yes, I am much better. That sickness came all of a sudden, you know. I started getting fever in the night and it started. But now I'm much better, thank God. I said my prayers and asked Jesus to look after me. And now I'm much better. And sister's giving me all the in injections and medicines. God bless her for it. All the care and attention. They have been giving me care and attention. God bless them for it. Mother, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the society itself and where it's working at the moment, the kind of work you do. Looking around us here at the charts on the wall, they give us some idea of the kind of work you're engaged in. Very simple because we are just trying 
to take Jesus at his word. He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And I was homeless. And uh, you took me in. When you go around the, uh, around the work, what the sisters are doing, uh, you will see that we are only doing just that and nothing more. It's as simple as, as that. And then, besides having this... Um, material uh, poverty, real hunger for bread. There is a tremendous hunger for love, for being wanted, for being people being concerned for each other. And that I find that's much, much greater, much greater poverty. Right? That's why the sisters are also working outside of India and outside in Africa. Africa and India more or less are the same. But in Europe and uh, United States and other places where we are working, it is uh, maybe it's not so much material poverty as there is this uh, terrible heart poverty, or they call it a spiritual poverty. And how many countries do the sisters now work in? Uh, we are in all the continents. Uh, we are in, if we begin from this side, we are in Australia, in Papua New Guinea, we are in the Philippines. Then we are in India, Bangladesh. Uh, then we are in uh, Mauritius, Ethiopia, Tanzania. Uh, we are in uh, Israel, and Jordan, and Yemen. And we are in Lebanon. We are in Italy. We are in, in England. We are in Holland, in the United States, in Mexico, Haiti, Guatemala, Panama and Venezuela, and Peru, and Argentina. All over the world. 132 places. And how did, did all of this begin? Very simply. Just in Calcutta it began. That's all. Alone. Jesus and I. That's all. It began here in 1950. We were recognized as a religious congregation. And since then, it has grown. And what prompted you, Mother, to, to set up this new order? Yes, God's will. So. You felt that there was a special need for this kind of work? It was God's will to have to to find him, to love him, to serve him, the poorest of the poor. This is, I mean, that's grown now, that's touched many countries, many people. How happy are you now, looking back over 30 years, looking back at these successes you've had? Uh, the work is God's work. Eh? Humanly speaking, uh, we could not have done what we have done. And that's why uh, we cannot claim the work. But with God has proved that he is the maker and that he is the creator and that with him we can do all things. And that's why I always ask the people to pray for us that we don't spoil God's work, that the work remains his work. And you've devoted yourselves particularly to the care of and the love of the poor of the world. In, the, in our society we take a fourth vow without chastity, obedience, and poverty, 
we take a fourth vow of giving a wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. Uh, our first vow is to love Christ with undivided love and chastity through freedom of poverty in total surrender to obedience and wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. And so these four vows together make us missionaries of charity. This, this love always creates a sharing. We must love until it hurt, hurts. As we, do not, we, we must not give from our abundance, but we must give until it hurts. And this is more and more now, people coming in contact with the poor, they are realizing that um, they can lift the poverty only if they begin to share. Mother, your life has been an inspiration to so many people all over the world. What would you like to say today to the people of Ireland? People of Ireland are known to have great love for Our Lady. And I hope, like her, she was so faithful to remain the handmaid of the Lord. And she kept her life so beautiful, all for Jesus. And like her, when Jesus came first time in her life, immediately she went in haste to do the work of the handmaid. And so today also, I think, Irish people have brought life, prayer, the knowledge of Jesus to so many countries through their priests and through their nuns, through their children. And so we, I want to say a big thank you to the people of Ireland for having given their children to bring Jesus to all the mission countries wherever they have gone. They have brought that love for Jesus, love for Mary, love for the church. And so this is one of the reasons that I accepted to, to talk to you to, and to allow you to do this program because I thought it was a very beautiful opportunity um, to thank the people, the Irish people, for what they have done for our people in India in having brought Jesus, Jesus' love and Jesus' concern for our people into the country, into our, amongst our people. Because most of the mission centers in India at the beginning were with, our, with people from Ireland. And also, I had also been, I had first joined the, the Loreto nuns in Rathfarnham, so that also makes a little bit of a connection. So all things together, I think we have much to thank God for having been so closely connected with the Irish people and, and to thank them in the name of, of our poor people especially. And in our own, in our own name also, for what Irish people have done for the world. God bless you all. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other documentary on one productions. Visit rte.ie/doconone.